Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Aristotle Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Aristotle Pacific Capital, the sub-advisor for the Aristotle Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello, and welcome to number 61. In the next 10 minutes, we will review market performance in August, a slowly cooling economy, Federal Reserve expectations, and opportunities in fixed income. Let's begin. Let's start with market performance in August. In general, markets were weak. The S&P 500 index was down about 1.5%. While that doesn't seem like much, the Russell 2000 value index was down almost 5%, and the S&P 500 equal weight index was down over 3%. So bringing the totals for the year, Russell 2 values up 46 The S&P 500 is up almost 19%. But when you do the equal weight index, the S&P 500 is up about 7%. In my opinion, with the S&P 500 up 19 and the equal weight index up only 7, it seems you're being penalized if you diversify, especially given that the S&P is up over 18% for the year. Now let's jump over to fixed income. The aggregate index was down 64 basis points for the month as the 10-year treasury moved from 395 to 409. And as we record this podcast, the 10-year is now over four and a quarter. So we continue to see pressure on rates. For the year, the bond index is up a little over 1%. But contrary to equities, if you diversified away from the broadly-based aggregate index, in particular with high-yield bonds and bank loans, you should have been rewarded as their returns have been in the 7 to 9% range year to date. So given the performance of equity and bond indices this year, I was asked, what has surprised me so far? I think the big surprise for me is that rates haven't come down. At the beginning of the year, most Wall Street houses thought there was a 90% chance, even a 100% chance in some cases, of a recession in late 23. And while I thought those odds were too, quote, certain, I did think the economy would slow more quickly, leading to an expectation that rates would be lower. So folks, the 10-year started the year at 380, and it's now 40 to 50 basis points above that. I think very few investors anticipated this. All in all, with the S&P 500 up 19% and the ag holding in, investors should have had a decent year if they remained invested. Let's pivot to the economy. I'll first lay out the bull case. As we record, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now is forecasting over a 5% number for GDP growth in Q3. That's a monster number in my opinion. A year ago, expectations were actually for a negative third quarter. Inflation is dropping. That's good. The job market's still strong. That's good. And overall credit and liquidity seem pretty normal. So all that paints a pretty decent bull case. Here's the bear case. Nominal GDP is slowing. So in the second quarter, nominal GDP was a little over 1%, I think 1.15%. Annualized, it's around 4.647. Just to give you some perspective, nominal GDP in 2021 was 12%. Monetary policy is still tightening, rates are higher, and jobs, while still strong, are weakening. So from the standpoint of where the economy is, I feel the economy is still sound, but where it's headed, certainly feel things are slowing and we're probably heading over to weakening, but not to the point where I would say it's alarming. I wanna dig a little deeper on 
the slowing economy, in particular starting with consumer savings. So right before the COVID spike in the first half of 2020, consumer savings was tracking around $1.4 trillion, and this is according to Fred data. Then the COVID-related government programs kicked in in the middle of 2020, so that ballooned personal savings to almost $6.5 trillion. So what we've seen over the past three years are those additional savings, which I think has certainly been a big part of keeping the economy strong, have largely been spent. So now consumers' savings is below pre-COVID levels. With savings largely depleted, it'd be interesting to see where the consumer finds the ability to spend. Also, if we dig into consumer spending, general spending, looking at Bank of America, Global Research's credit card spending data, and this is around mid-August, comparatively year over year, general spending is up about 1% from a year ago. Looking through to sectors, retail, lodging, gas, clothing, furniture, home improvement, online, and electronics are all negative year over year. On the positive side, airlines, restaurants, transit, department stores, and groceries are up. The big increase, entertainment, still up double digits. So what does all this mean? We have a job market that's tightening. We have nominal GDP that's slowing. Conversely, we also have inflation rolling over. But in general, what you're seeing is just a general slowing. So does that mean recession? I would say I think there are clouds, but they're not storm clouds. I would categorize them as rain clouds. But we haven't seen the rain yet. In my opinion, the biggest factor is without a Fed pivot, it's going to be really difficult to avoid a soft landing. I also believe it's just taking longer for things to play out. We've gone through a ton of consumer savings. It does take a little bit for the Fed's tighter monetary policy to affect the marketplace. So we'll see where it goes, but in my opinion, the odds of recession increase each day until the Fed pivots. As we record today, the odds of a rate hike in September are pretty low, I'd say less than 25%. The real debate is if there's going to be a hike in November. As we record, it's a coin flip. Chances of a hike in November started August, actually, at around a 30 to 40% chance. The Fed's rhetoric at Jackson Hole came in, I'd say, hawkish, and those odds ballooned to a 70% chance of a hike in November. Now, as some of the jobs data is showing a slowing market or a weakening job market, those odds have reduced down, and we currently sit at around 50%. We'll see. All right, now let's talk about fixed income investing. At the end of 2021, the broad-based aggregate index was yielding 1.75%, and that was higher than levels we had seen in 2020. It's now yielding close to 5%. The investment-grade U.S. credit index is yielding around 5.5%, which seemed almost unreachable two or three years ago. The 10-year treasury is now 4.243, and short-term treasuries are yielding 5 to 6. So folks, we're at a place where money markets and low-risk fixed income are yielding 5 to 6%. If you're willing to take risk beyond that and extend out into high-yield bonds, those yields are 8.5%. A few years ago, they were under 5%. And bank loans are yielding over 10%, which is, again, substantially higher than it was just a couple years ago. The interesting part is on duration. If you extend out on duration, you may actually lose yield. So what you're doing there is you're basically making a bet that rates will come down and you get total return on top of the coupon. So where is the opportunity? 
I still am very much a fan of the barbell trade. And the barbell trade is anchoring short and anchoring long, as opposed to maybe a traditional laddering, which you have things staggered through the yield curve. So how do you articulate a trade like this? Well, on the short end, I still believe there's room to run in the bank loan trade. Investors have been skeptical of this asset class for a while now, in part because rates were expected to lower this year, and in part because it had performed so well last year. I mean, last year, the ag was down double digits. Bank loans were off around 1%. This year, the ag is up about 1%, and bank loans are up another 9%. So even with the dramatic outperformance of loans over investment-grade bonds and having double-digit yields, the asset class has seen consistent outflows by retail investors for the full year. In addition to seeing value in loans, I think investment-grade credit is offering value given how much rates have moved higher. Again, on that barbell, if you utilize lower-duration assets, such as bank loans, and longer-duration assets in investment-grade, I think you have a situation where August reflects a nice example of how these two work together. Investment-grade bonds were down a little bit. Meanwhile, bank loans were up. So with one reflecting more rate risk and credit risk, these two kind of offset each other and can help stabilize returns in a fixed-income portfolio. And lastly, I will conclude with a personal reflection. This one's really personal. A family we are close to has a son who's come down with a serious illness. And that boy is the same age as my son and a lifelong friend of my son. And we've been asked by their friends, quote, what can I do? How can I help? And we keep saying, just reach out. That's it. Just reach out. As simple and easy as that sounds, folks can have a hesitancy to do this. And in a trying time, this family is facing this illness and they can't help but notice who hasn't reached out. When I speak to folks who haven't reached out, they'll say, I don't know what to say. And the reply is, you don't have to know what to say. Just reach out. That's it. It goes a long way. So the reflection and the perspective is, if you have folks in your life that are struggling through something, I just encourage you to not overthink it. Just reach out. Thank you, and stay tuned. The views in this commentary are as of the date recorded and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warranted. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed.